welcome to Fintech Insider Live. Uh, we are here at Finastra's Fusion One conference in Tobacco Dock. It is day two. Audience, how are we doing? Noise. Woo, there we go. We've got energy. Perfect. All right. So, um, my name is Sarah Kachansky. I'm from 11FS. I'm here with my 11FS colleague and co-host, Simon Taylor. How are you today, Mr. Taylor? I am really well. It's sunny in London. Can you believe it? Um, we, have, we have some alcohol on stage. We're going to have some great fun and some guests. Um, we're going to get into all kinds of stuff about the new era of finance. Um, hands up. Has anybody here heard of Fintech Insider, the podcast? All right, so it's about half the, this bit of the room at least. Uh, Fintech Insider is the uh, number one business podcast in the UK on iTunes. Um, we are an irreverent bunch of people who love fintech and financial services, as you will probably tell by this conversation. And it's brought to you by 11FS. Uh, we are a challenger consultancy, and we help uh, banks and uh, all kinds of companies, big and small, build new digital propositions. So that's us. That is us. So the way that this is going to go... Um, we're joined by some fantastic guests. We're going to chat about the new era of finance. We're going to talk about open platforms, emerging technology, um, and how that's powered by you guys, by the developers. So before we get into that, I'm going to introduce our guests. Um, so to my left, I have Ellie Rosner. Am I saying that right? Yep. Perfect. Uh, Chief Product and Technology Officer at Finastra. Um, sitting next to him, we have Eric Boyd, who is the Corporate Vice President for Azure AI at Microsoft. Is that correct? They got it. <laughs> and last, by no means least, to my extreme right, we have Andrew Smith, who is the CTO of ClearBank. How are you, Andrew? I'm good, thank you. Not okay. bad. Okay, I'm going to spin it back around this way. What, what do you do, Andrew? What does ClearBank do, and what do what you do? What does ClearBank do? Right, so ClearBank's the first uh, new clearing bank in the UK in over 250 years. That's been an interesting journey, I'll, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, um, my role there, I'm actually one of the founders of ClearBank. So, uh, right from day one, um, basically the way we looked at that was anything that had the word technology in it, and that included the kettle with a plug, I was responsible for that. And that's kind of where <laughs> we started. Four guys, blank sheet of paper, create something new. Found a life. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all as glamorous as it sounds, right? <laughs> uh, no, no. I had hair at the start of the journey, to be honest with you, and uh, lost it as we went. I've heard, I've heard that before from a yeah. few people. Um, Eric, how about you? What does Corporate Vice President of Azure AI mean? Well, unfortunately, like most of this crowd, I don't get to spend my days working on finance. I have to slog away in the salt mines of AI. So uh, what we do is we run the platform that uh, all of the AI development is done internally at Microsoft uh, and then make that available through Azure to all of our customers. Um, anything that you need to do machine learning, get access to thousands of GPUs, or a suite of cognitive services on top of that to do things like speech to text or you know, vision recognition and all face detection, all the cool things you can do with AI. So it's the cool, exciting stuff that's slightly in the background, but that gets stuff done. Absolutely. Brilliant. I, I have to share with you what Eric told me last night at dinner. He <laughs> said he has the best job on the planet. True. Microsoft, cloud, and data. Done. You're a happy man. Those are the three coolest buzzwords in the industry right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> you, you, if this was bingo, you'd have the whole house. Yeah, yeah. Full yeah. house. <laughs> I, I can't complain. Uh. <laughs> um, Ellie, how about you? What, what does the official do you do? title is Chief Product and Technology Officer? I'm accountable at Finastra for um, product strategy, portfolio management, product management, engineering, uh, and some of the operations. In summary, uh, anything that can go wrong is my fault. <laughs> You're the full guy. Yeah. Oh, and you make some amazing social photos as well. If anybody's been following the event on the, on the Twitter feed, there's been some pretty, pretty cool photos of this guy in the last day or so, has there not? 
We, yeah, we, we feel like for, for people who are listening to the podcast, some of those photos appeared on the screens behind us, and I was like, why is everybody laughing? And then I turned, ah, oh, okay, got it. <laughs> All right, let's get on with the show. So um, we're going to be talking about the future of finance. The future will be led by innovation, and innovation will be led by developers, so I'm led to believe. So we're going to dig into that to start with. Um, first off, let's, let's address something that's been said quite a lot, which is that banks need to start operating like tech companies. Do we, do we agree with this? Do we disagree? Is this a soundbite that we're like, yeah, we can move on from that? So, so, so we are a tech company. That's how I look at us. We started off as a tech company... Uh, and so happened to be a bank, if that makes sense. So tech company first, got a banking license, and that helped us deliver banking as a service. The, the challenge I always look at that is, is the mindset and the culture behind that. That's, that's the hard thing, right? Because banking has had so many years behind it. The culture, the mindset that you have, and this accountability here in the UK with the SMR regime, you, you kind of fall into an iterative, I need to predict the future, and project by project by project kind of mindset. And that's, that's the challenge, I think. That's the real challenge. And, and, and what about guys, so you, you guys are more, as you've just said, both of you on the, on the tech side. So from your perspective, do you agree with this mentality? Do you think that that's the future of finance? We need to, to big up the tech and, and change how we, how we address, we, how we produce these services? I mean, I'm hardly the expert on finance, but I've talked to a whole bunch of companies across a range of industries, and all of them are trying to figure out you know, how do they, how do they change and, and embrace technology in a much bigger way? I think finance companies are right in the middle of that, of needing, and you, you touched on it exactly, it's the culture. Do you have the culture of a company that values data, values, you know, innovating and, and iterating rapidly and, and developing that? Every industry where you have a company that's doing that, they're going to lead. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely important. I think that the traditional banks are wannabe technology companies. You're absolutely the exception to that. I think they have a DNA problem of a culture, of a not invented here syndrome. I mean, let's face it, they've been in a very privileged situation for many years where, uh, I'm not going to use the word monopoly, mm. uh, but they had very privileged access to our data and they took the advantage of it. And those days are starting to be over very quickly. But, but let's dive into the next level of detail on that because they've got the privilege of customers' data, millions of customers. Um, they've got all of the customers, all of the money, all of the market share, all of the marketing budget. Um, but you, you talked there a little bit about data. Why can't they take advantage of that? In my mind, and I'm sure my uh, fellow panelists will have an opinion about it, the data is organized in silos. That's mm -hmm. number one. So if you want to get a 360 view of a consumer or a corporation, it's hard for them to get it. It's a quote-unquote mechanical, tactical problem. Still, they haven't figured it out yet. And I don't think that they had to be creative with regards to data until now. But lately, with the you know, emergence of all those younger companies and AI, and everybody knows about the people that bought, that bought it, and all the innovative solutions about engagement, they just don't have a choice, but they don't know how to do it. And, and that's particularly true when you talk about AI, right? So you say all the banks say, we want to use AI, or we're going to use AI, and it's going to change the world. But if your data, isn't, your data house isn't in order, or data lake, or data stack, that's or whatever the, it is. That's <laughs> the first step of any company that we talk to, is making sure that they understand, do they have the right data? Do they have ways of managing and accessing it? Do they have ways of, of pulling it together? Um, you have to do that, because then if you're going to try and build models on top of it, models only as good as the data that you have. Um, you know, and the thing that we start telling a lot of companies too is you're going to differentiate based on the data that you have. These models that are they're getting relatively commoditized. The data is the thing that makes them all different, and so you can.
can stand out because you have access to great data. I, I wrote a blog post called Crappy Data is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. <laughs> uh, and what I meant by that is not that the data itself is bad, but how the data is organized, its availability, its timeliness, its access. But from a developer's perspective, uh, you can imagine the frustration of wanting to innovate with data, wanting to do the right thing from a customer's standpoint. You know, what's different now that wasn't true 10, 15, 20 years ago? Um, and, and why do you think it is hard for some of the incumbent organizations to, to get over this digital shift into yeah. the new era. So, so it, when I think of it as a developer uh, journey, right, when 10, 15 years ago, you'd have lots of different technologies in those siloed systems. So how do you bring them together? And I remember you working with Com, with Microsoft, and you'd have Corbar over here, and how did you actually get this data to talk to each other and, and, and the APIs around that? DB2. <clears throat> yeah. And Sorry, I didn't mean to swear. <laughs> the, the great thing that happened in the last couple of years, you know, we had it originally with SOAP, XML, and all these sort of standards, and then web standards on top of that, is actually you started to get an understanding of, I, I can connect through this you know, protocol, or whatever you want to call it, that actually just works unilaterally across all of these systems. So if I can understand the web, I can understand the language of the web, I can start utilizing more APIs. If I can utilize more APIs, I can get at that data better. Ellie, is there, um, is there a skills gap here, though? Because like, one thing is, is the silos, but it, like, is it a skills gap in the uh, exec level inside the organization of, of what the modern tools can do and how you get from where you are to where you want to be? There's a huge skill gap. Um, if you look at the different generations of technology, or first generation platform, third, based on the IDC model, so you started with the mainframe, and then client server, and then web technologies, and then came the wave of everything that we do today with AI and social and all that. The, the banks, in my mind, are way early in the adoption cycle of new technologies. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm making a general statement, but for the most part, I think they're on second generation platform at best. So they have, uh, the, the, big, the big banks have a large body of IT that is still living um, in a very different world than what's happening outside. And uh, they don't want to change because they want to protect their jobs. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's just take a, to take a step, which is back there, which kind of ties into the point you've just made. But um, how important is, we talked about culture at the beginning. It sounds like to me what you're saying is that we need to get some cultural change going before we can do any of these things. So talking about adopting open, talking about you know changing your data, uh, the way you house your data, how you approach things. Um, how, how do you go about that? Whether that's in a bank, whether that's in any kind of legacy institution. So Microsoft is not a baby. Like Microsoft is not a new nimble fintech. You know, so even you, Microsoft must be addressing that. No, we've done well. a ton of work on, on changing the culture. Um, you know, when I, I joined Microsoft 10 years ago, having come from online, you know, startups and, and companies like that, and, and was just stunned. Microsoft ships software once every three years, and just that mentality. <laughs> I'd forgotten that, yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, the, the amount of modernization that we've had to do to start thinking that we, we operate like an online service, our competitors are operating like online service. It's a services world, and Azure now is a core of the company, and, and so how do you transform that culture? I mean, you start by building this data-driven culture, thinking through the value of core metrics and shipping things to move the metrics, not to ship features. Um, and that, it just takes a lot of time and effort. Uh, you know, Satya's been a, a huge driver of the culture and really focused on that in the company. 
And I mean, I think a lot of the resurgence of Microsoft as a company is, is really because we focus on getting the culture right. The technology and all the other things are important, but if you don't get the culture right, you're not going to build the right product. They sort of followed that, didn't they? And it's really, Microsoft is a great case study that a giant organization can transform its culture. Mm -hmm. um, I, I look at things like uh, Linux is available in Azure. I That's look right. at things like the GitHub acquisition. I look at things that just seemed 10 years ago didn't feel very Microsoft, now feel very Microsoft. And that is, is a huge thing. And the, the sort of the software follows that. The skills follow that. So does that have to come from the top? Or is that something that you know is kind of be, can be a bottom-up movement? How does how does that really get started? How do those so, fires so, begin? Yeah, so we 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 had this challenge ourselves, right? We're, we're new challenger bank, but we still have these problems. Um, the way that we looked at that was actually we come at it from top and bottom. Mm -hmm. right? So your developers in our particular business are very agile mindset. They've got that already. We came from very much a Scrum background, so everything that we did was Scrum, 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 Agile, Agile. Our our exco, let's say, of which you know may have abused the word agile a little yeah. bit. You know, that just <laughs> means we've changed fair, our mind yeah. a little bit. Yeah, but, but actually, to be fair, that we've always adopted that mindset that we need to have an agile mentality and a culture across the business. So we've kind of gone from the bottom and then the top up. And the way that we did that is by focusing everyone around outcomes rather than projects. So it's product, outcome, and the language that you use behind that, that really starts to, to make people think in a slightly different way. And it's about mindsets. And, and and I mean, you as, as a, a new organization, I guess, have a little bit of a head start when it comes to this, but how important is that culture when it comes to filling that skills gap to attracting the talent that already exists? So if you're a, a new nimble startup, you have, a, you have a little bit of an edge there, I'd say. But um, if you're talking about you know, developers being the lifeblood of the future of, of finance or tech, mm. how do you make yourself attractive to the people you need to help you compete? We've got to compete with these guys, right? <laughs> so, so we're competing for talent with the likes of Microsoft, or Facebook, or Google. So that's, that's but tough for a bit. Five years ago, 10 years ago, Microsoft was not an appealing place for the hottest developers yeah. to go and work. And, and largely, it is exactly that. What we heard from people is, you know, I don't want to use these old, old pieces of technology. I want to use the open source stuff. I want to use the stuff all my friends out of college are going to use at other places. I want to use Linux. I want to be able to use Hadoop and, and open source. And so just that culture change at Microsoft has dramatically changed the type of talent. That I think there's an interesting lesson there for financial services incumbents and, and people trying to work with banks as well and partner with banks, which is um, banks have kind of moved from that um, mod or have to move from that model of when um, Henry Ford built the Model T, he owned the rubber plant, he owned the steel kind of um, yeah. melting and, and everything, and, and owned, owned his whole supply chain. Whereas actually now increasingly the job is not to own all of the supply chain and build everything yourself, it's to be the person that constructs all of the best tools and, and kind of puts them together. Orchestrator. And, uh, yeah, the orchestrator. And, and that does, you know, if somebody else has done it better, just plug that in and, and plug that in. Is that a mindset shift you're seeing in larger incumbents and, and in, in the market, Eli? Um, in some cases we do. Uh, just to have a comment on the previous question and to the example Eric gave about Microsoft, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast and it has to start from the top. <laughs> you can try as much as you want to do a bottom-up push, it's not going to work. I've yeah. uh, attempted it in, my, uh, in, in one of my previous jobs and it failed miserably. <laughs> That's why I'm no longer there. But, but it's good to, yeah. oh, that wasn't where I was going. And I had the end of your sentence. I was going to say it's good to learn from your mistakes. And then you said, but I'm no longer there. So I'm sorry to drag up painful memories. I, I didn't track the comment and I forgot the question. 
Well, we've got the star day. of the show right here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so I think the idea was, uh, the question was going to be, um, you know, like learning from those painful lessons. And I guess um, the insight for the banks is definitely, uh, there, there are ways to do it and you have to have that momentum both from the bottom up and, and from the top down. Um, and, and that can yeah. drive us forward. Agree with that. So I'm going to move us on because we, we kind of nearly segued there and then I, and I messed up the link um, into the next section, which is the power of open. So um, if this next era of finance is led by developers and we've agreed it is and we've agreed how we're going to get them and how we're going to keep them, um, it's powered by openness. Now, we've all kind of, we've sort of touched on that already, talking about open source. Um, is it... Is it fair to say that, that, that we are, because we sort of touched on this again, but this kind of uh, uh, change in culture where previously it was like, no, this is mine, you, you can't have this, uh, you know, and that hindered the whole industry. Do you think that this sort of new mentality of openness is A, as widespread as people say it is, and B, do you think that that's going to facilitate faster innovation? Do you want to start with A, is it as widespread as everybody thinks it is? Oh, I'm looking at you to start with this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can tell you beyond finance that this model of um, let's hold everything and, and keep it ourselves has really been supplanted with how can I build the biggest ecosystem? And, and you look at, I mean, it started with, I first noticed it really with Hadoop. And so there were lots of competing data store technologies, uh, but Hadoop really just built this ecosystem where everybody was using Hadoop and all these new tools and technology came out for it. In the AI space, TensorFlow was open source, PyTorch was open source, and this ecosystem of tools got built around it and developers start sharing their models in TensorFlow and, and they this ecosystem is built up where it's just easier to work with it. And so I think other industries are really starting to realize you don't care about proprietary lock into your technology. You care about having the biggest ecosystem of people working with you. And the way to build that is to be open, to share the information, share the technology. Ellie, when you're talking to, um, and, and I guess Andrew as well, when you're talking with your counterparts or, or with, with partner banks, how do you explain that shift to open source and to cloud? Because I often think people see it purely as a, as a cost save, and I, and I wonder if actually that's, that's a dangerous way to view cloud. I mean, yes, it, it is in theory a lot cheaper than running your own data center, but I think it almost creates the wrong mindset. Mm -hmm. Do you start from somewhere else? We absolutely start from someplace else. I mean, we get to the total cost of ownership, which is where the comments around being in the cloud is, is there. But we start from, rev from growth and revenue generation and customer engagement mm -hmm. and customer retention, risk and regulatory compliance, and then we get to the total cost of ownership. Yeah. That's the sequence, because going to the cloud with an infrastructure as a service alone can get you only so far. We've seen it in one of the presentations here. You gotta go through the maturity phases of leveraging more and more capabilities. So that's one point. And quickly on the other one, the collocation of data and the computing power can create a lot of magic. So it's about growth, retention, better service to the customers. Explore that point as well. Let's, let's give an example of that. The co-location of data and computation can create magic. I love that idea. What, what does that look like for a customer or for, or, or for a bank? Sure. So you're a farmer and you have a combine and uh, you grow whatever you grow. And the bank having access to uh, weather data, transportation data, they know your the cycle of your business because they see your revenue, they also see your expenses throughout the year. So they know your crops are gonna be good this year. So they can give you a loan with a lower risk, a lower rate because they know it's a lower risk. And that's just the simplest example. We attended, the, when I was working in another company, a Finnovate event in, uh, in the Silicon Valley. And we showed on stage a demo that, that took point-of-sale data from a retailer, from a bar, right? And showed it on, in a digital banking application. 
but it, it was an application. You're in your G-Store banking application, you saw you added that restaurant last night, you click it, you see the beer that you drank last night, and you click it again and you can find it around you with 50% off. It's a very different business model than what we're looking at today. That opportunity stuff. And, and how about yourself, when you're looking at um, that, that cloud space and that open source software space, why do, you, know, you, you were lucky you started with a blank sheet of paper, but if you were to have started 10 years ago and, and that tool set wasn't as mature, what have been the, the, the cost trade-offs of having a Docker, a Kubernetes, um, a cloud platform, machine images, all that kind of stuff? Like, let's really break that down in terms of how that accelerates you and what opportunities it gives you. I didn't want to answer that bit. I wanted to answer the first bit. Yeah, I was going to say, does it speed up innovation? Yeah, so, so it does. Right? So uh, I'm just looking at back to how we actually build up things like infrastructure as code. So the whole of ClearBank runs as infrastructure as code. We have a bunch of DevOps tools. We contribute into some of the open source capabilities of that. We leverage the open source capabilities of that. And that helps us accelerate our capabilities. Um, we kind of build on top of it, right? I think when you come to the secret source and whether you should open source everything, I don't think you should open source everything. It depends where you are in the value chain. That's how I look at that. So that's a really interesting point, particularly um, when we're talking about open banking. So open banking, um, when you, you, know, you, you look at the, the idea of it, it's beautiful, it's going to encourage competition and it's going to encourage more innovation. The fintechs are doing quite a lot with this. They're, they're playing with it, they're sharing, they've got their APIs out there. The big banks so far have been quite regimented and we're only going to give you what we have to. Do you, do you, do you agree with that, first of all? You pulled the face, so I don't know if that was... So, a... so I think there's a, there's a number of challenges. Right? And when you're outside looking in, it looks very simple. You just say, well, the big banks don't want to play. And so, but I've kind of sat in a couple of those meetings now, and, and I see the challenges that the big banks have. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's never going to be easy for them, was it? No, no, it's never <laughs> going to be easy for them. And then there's some of the challenges that the fintechs actually provide because, and I don't want to sound, um, yeah, anyway, let's gloss over what I was going to say, but there's some of the challenges they don't quite understand that you have with, with transactional banking. Mm -hmm. And one of the examples I think about is, um, you know, you think, get balance. Oh, there's the balance, and now I can make a transaction off the back of that. Well, that balance could change in any millisecond, right? So you can't make a transaction off the back of that. You, you have to work a little bit different, whereas a fintech will come to us and say, we want to do a get balance and then just make a transaction straight off the back of that five, six, seven minutes later. Well, you know, the DD might have gone out. Something might have happened. You can't yeah. work in that mm -hmm. way. So there's a whole educational piece. It's on both sides of the fence there, right? So fintechs need to be a little bit more aware of what the bank's challenges are, and the banks need to understand that actually what the fintechs are asking for is hard for them to deliver sometimes because going right back to the start of the conversation, you're in a bunch of silos. I can't give you necessarily access to everything. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people say, well, you've got mobile banking. Why can't I hook into that API? If you think as a big bank, how did you actually implement mobile banking? Because your core is probably projecting something in there in the first place. So how do I secure that? There's a whole host of things mm -hmm. that are challenges that hit the big bank because they're the victim of their own success 20 years ago. I have so, a comment. Yes, please. On that. So the point you're bringing is valid. The, the sentiment towards fintechs has changed in 2018. They were perceived to be more competitors than cooperators with the banks over the last year, and it's getting stronger. When you, when you do a, a SWOT analysis and you put a traditional bank versus a fintech, you're going to see that they're very complementary to one another. Large, slow, has the trust, incumbent, agile, cloud and mobile first, digital natives, moving really fast. 
So they're very complementary to one another. And the banks have recognized the fact that the fintechs are not really competing with them. There are opportunities to augment their portfolio, to accelerate their innovation. And if they really like it, some of them have opened uh, incubators and accelerators to acquire the technology. Not all fintechs are the same, though, right? Because no. there's, there's fintechs that are challenger banks that are directly competing. Um, and then there are lenders that are directly competing. True. And then there are the ones that are suppliers directly. Or then there are ones that fill in gaps in the value chain. So uh, you see um, uh, funding options, market invoice, these alternative lenders who, you know, when a bank can't lend to somebody, they'll turn a no into a yes because mm -hmm. they've got a different model. So you've kind of got this spectrum um, and you've, you've got so to there, work there, with that. There's some really interesting stuff, actually. I mean, we always think about banking products, okay? So if I think of open banking, right, some of the use cases off the back of that. So there's 23 million people in the UK who struggle with some sort of debt, mm -hmm. okay? Of which one in five of them will actually go and speak to somebody about it. And that, what, why is that? There'd be a whole host of reasons, because maybe it's embarrassing, but I have to go and have a face-to-face -face conversation. You look at people like OpenWorks and some of the work they've done with debt management and, some, and their tally application, mm -hmm. yeah. and that's all about actually going out and saying, give me all your open banking sort of data, and I will help you with AI and some of the kind of capabilities of compute that's actually out there now to help you deal with your debt. So as an individual, that's actually, you know, for a personal point of view, that's, that's really powerful to me. And you've got all the mental health issues and blah, 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 that come with debt and everything else. So that's actually, you know, somebody overplays it sometimes when they say open banking for good, but there's actually really good examples that Absolutely. aren't financially driven by the bank, let's just say. And I, I think, um, you know, how much, how much do we agree that this is um, to do with kind of building a new infrastructure, actually? So developers, you know, so the people who are building Tully get the credit. Tully's a brilliant product, by the way. I recently wrote about money and mental health, and, and I think yeah. it's a fantastic idea. Um, but how much do sort of the companies like that get the credit? And actually, you're, actually, it's the people in the back end who are, are driving this with, you know, building up this new infrastructure. Because I'm going to argue that infrastructure is as, if not more important than the customer-facing bit. So infrastructure is great if I've got an application. If I invest tons in, in infrastructure and nobody uses it, it's pointless. <coughs> blockchain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's use cases for blockchain, right? I'll just provoke Simon, sorry. But I think actually the people who actually drove this, you know, with PSD2 and the OBIE here in the UK, they're the people who are actually driving that infrastructure change. And, you know, the regulators may be pushing the agenda somewhat, but the applications is what matters off the back of that. So, you know, I have a different mindset around that. Infrastructure is great, but you need an app. I think that's true in, in all industries, though, so not just finance, right? You can, you can build the most fabulous infrastructure in the world at Microsoft or, or you know, whatever else, but actually, if you don't know what to do with it, it's... Uh, I mean, obviously, right? If you don't have an application that connects with users, then you don't have a value proposition. That said, you know, I would definitely say the ability to open up and create these horizontal platforms that make it easy to build these applications, that open doors that didn't exist, that allow innovation that previously wasn't possible, that there's tremendous value in that. And, you know, I think the platforms that are being created in the financial, uh, fintech and the financial world are really going to enable a tremendous amount of innovation. We're starting to see it. And so, you know, I don't want to take away from the point, like, you got to have apps, otherwise, like, what's, what have you done? Hmm. But those apps are powered by the capabilities that are now enabled. Which raises an interesting question for the incumbents, because the incumbents were the platform and the application. But increasingly, you see platforms win when they're more horizontal and, and they support multiple applications when they, can, when they can serve more of the market. So for, for an incumbent bank who's both, which direction do you move in? Do you move more out towards the customer and start to push out the platform and, and work with partners on the platform? Or do you look to, because I would argue ClearBank has definitely gone for more of the platform play, um, and you need lots of app partners to really be able to deliver that out. 
Yeah, I mean, ClearBank is an infrastructure play mm -hmm. at the end of the day, which is why I understand the value of the applications, right? We can sit there with an infrastructure and build this unbelievable banking as a service platform, but if we haven't got other institutions or fintechs who want to leverage it, then we don't have a business or a value proposition, right? So I, I think it depends what your business model is. So certain banks will focus a lot more in certain verticals, and you know, we've seen it in the last couple of days with people dropping out the mortgage uh, kind, yep. of, kind yep. of marketplace. Why are they doing that? Because they've got a number of challenges. You could go really horizontal, but you're going to find people who are specialists in their area, mm -hmm. um, which means that you partnering with fintechs, that gives you maybe more flexibility mm -hmm. in what you actually deliver. You've got so you've kind of got the, you've got the platform or the marketplace, but increasingly it's becoming an all, um, and trying to do both is harder? Yeah, I think it sends out mixed messages, right? So if we, if we, if we wanted to go direct to the consumer, we could. We definitely could do that, but that would never be part of ClearBank's value proposition, because that's competing with our customer base. Mm -hmm. And the way I look at it is there could be 100, 200, 300 fintechs who sit on banking as a service. Each one of them will deliver their own unique experience or, or productivity capabilities, whatever you want to say, that sits there, of which I've got to invest so much money, time and effort, dev dollars into actually building those experiences out. What's the point when I can be really good at what I do and power you guys to do really good at what you do? Which is the same as right as you, Absolutely. Right? I think that, you know, to your question whether it's going to be more of a platform or the services play, the winners in the market today are platform players. Whether it's uh, GAFA, whether it's BetJ in Asia Pacific, they have already won. So that inflection point is completely over. If you, think, if you look at the ping end with OneConnect, so it's, it's, a, it's a company that built a whole set of services from a core of financial services, expanded to insurance, to automotive, to other, to healthcare. So they built the whole ecosystem. They have 800 million customers. So we're talking about, now go, take a traditional bank with I don't know how many millions of customers and see who has easier access to consumers that need this f banking services and who will they take it from. Yeah. And the banks are competing with a company that has enormous amounts of data from all those other verticals that they already serve. So the, the platform is going to win for sure. So that kind of leads me on to the, the final section of, of what we're talking about today, which is actually new business models. Yeah. So the way in which banks and, in fact, technology companies used to make money doesn't really work anymore. Or it does, but you're, you're, not, going to be top of the you're not going to be top of the pile all the time if you stick with that old... You just said that you don't do, you don't, you know, do the full stack. Yeah. So, but explain why you... you Hissed. Tell so, me why. No, 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 no. So, so, I didn't mean to hiss. <laughs> you, he hissed at me. You know. No, no. So, see, so, if banking becomes a utility, where do banks make money, right? Because yep. to, to, to the point earlier on there, right, they're not going to have this whole platform plays because some of these are lost. So everyone looks really threatened by Google, Amazon, Facebook, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So they've got to actually live off your NIM, right? You've got to, you've got to live off of certain things. Live of, off your NIM. Yeah, deposits, lending, and, you know, you've got to live off that if that's your play. And there is actually a marketplace for that. Yeah. That's not, you know, that's where you're going to play if you become a utility. The platform players, their earning and the way they actually earn money in the business models of that is very different then. So I think you end up with these kind of layers and different, different approaches that are actually happening. So would it be fair to say then it's not that you can't make money in the, the, the way that, you, that people have historically, it's just that there's not enough uh, to go around for everybody to do everything. We need, the, we need new business models. For, I, I just think it's different. Okay. It's different, right? So, so we would charge on APIs and your connections and the transactions and things like that, and, and maybe you spin up an account in banking as a service. 
and a traditional bank's not going to do that. We and make actually, our money in a different way. Sorry, and actually, that business model wouldn't have existed without the open APIs. You wouldn't be able. To, you wouldn't have been able to do that. Actually, kind of that model wouldn't exist without the internet and without people well, like yeah. Azure for us, because it's as a service, you know, we looked at it and said, "There's infrastructure as a service. There's platform as a service. We want to deliver banking as a service." Our whole business doesn't exist without the likes of AWS and Microsoft. Azure. I, I would argue that the economics have changed more than the. Um, any business model, any one business model dying. So the, the ability to afford the infrastructure for five million customers um, that you need to scale, uh, that it, when there's other players in the market, there's increasing competition, there's other competitors that have a far better cost income ratio and their cost in, income ratio scales better. That's the thing with, the, with modern platforms is the cost-income ratio is really, really good. I look at somebody like an Oak North who's got a very traditional lending model, but actually their cost-income is, is market-beating. Why? Because they're, they're using modern tools and modern platforms. But also, they found a niche in the market. They, they went out and did specialist lending to a section of the market that, that kind of nobody else was. So that lending model is probably still there. But I wonder if, going back to, to your point about the Googles, Amazons, Facebooks, the, the platforms, there's also Netflix and Spotify. There are good businesses to be made with other business models as well. So d does that link to the point you wanted to make or does it go somewhere else? No, that, that's true. You're right about that. I mean, look, there's going to be place in the market for the platform players and for the niche providers of banking services or what have you into those platforms. The question is, if, you, if a bank, a traditional bank, is good with the growth rate of whatever they have today and they want to continue and be the best in the world in providing banking services and become a utility provider into another ecosystem... That's great. If those are their ambitions, it's great. But in the platform world, there is a one winner takes it all. And mm -hmm. that's why you have those giants that are just continuing to grow. You just imagine who's going to win if Amazon bought a bank tomorrow morning like they bought Whole Food. Is the bank going to win or Amazon going to win? Yeah. Did you want to make a... a oh, I'd say, love I to see the capital requirements there, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I might have a slightly different perspective on it. Like, the, the value of having a platform, you know, ultimately, value is created by, you know, creating value to customers. And so what are the things that you're giving to customers that gives them value that they didn't have yesterday? And so, you know, no one cares that there's a platform utility that I'm sort of, that's a customer perspective, I don't care about that. I care about the bank is more relevant to me, it's giving me more relevant services, it's pricing my loans at a better way, it's giving me insurance at a better rate. Um, and I don't want to sound like a one-trick pony, but I think the finance industry really is behind in where they need to be in terms of how they're going to leverage AI. I think the opportunities that they have to use AI to combine the massive number of signals that all of these players have to better serve their customers is something that you know, the right players who figure out how to do that are going to capture tremendous market share. I talked to banks in China, and uh, they don't do loans without, the AI models just run all of that, and it's just completely transformed the way they think about it. And they have a different regulatory environment, and they have more comfortable comfort with AI and with massive data, but that's, those are the hindrances that the, U, U, the European and US markets have to deal with. It's like, how do we catch up with that? So that leads perfectly into my final question. And my final question is always, what does the future look like? Hmm. So, and I never tell you that in advance because I don't want anybody to like prepare <laughs> an answer and give me a spiel that takes 15 minutes. Um, you know, do you think, to, to pick up on your point, then I'll make you go first because you, you led us into Great. it. Do you, think, do you think they're gonna get there? Or what do you think is gonna happen in Europe and the US that means either we catch up with China or something else happens? You know, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, there, 
there's such strong geopolitical forces at play with the, the rest of the world and China that I really can't even predict what's going to happen. I mean, the two internets and who knows. Um, what I can predict is that the AI technology and, and the power that you get with it is really just starting to be ta tapped into. And so I think the players that do a great job of figuring that out and how to translate into value for their customers, those are the people that are really going to start to lead. And so what does the future look like in the finance world? I'm not sure, but I think they're going to find much better ways to deal with the data that they have and take advantage of it in ways that really benefit their customers. And of course, you have to manage data in a privacy, security, you know, all of those different uh, you know, core ethical principle ways. Do you think, just as a second beautiful question there, do you think that the future involves more laws around data? Oh, absolutely. Globally, like, yeah. I mean, GDPR was the worst thing that happened to most people, and, <laughs> yep. and but brilliant for the industry, right? Like, it just, you know, I was, Sachi was just saying, it's great, the lawyers wrote a spec for all the data engineers to go and come up with a single consistent platform. It's a little weird that the lawyers did it, but they did. Um, I, you know, consumers are really concerned about how there's data being used, and they want to make sure that they have the right control over it. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure coming on that. Cool. Who else wants to look into a crystal ball? I hate looking into the crystal ball. It's like the worst thing I always can. <laughs> feels like a project management sort of thing, doesn't it? Right? Um, I, I kind of look at it and say, actually, AI, massively, um, in terms of technologies. I look at AI as very much as a prediction machine. So those with a better AI become better at predicting outcomes. That's right. um, if I think of mortgages, if I can see the data and everything else that's being provided from open data, not just my own platform, if my AI is better than your AI, I'm going to get more accurate in terms of who's going to repay my mortgages and therefore I won't default, blah, blah, blah. Um, we use AI a lot in terms of financial crime, um, fraud detection, yeah. all of that kind of, you know, understanding context across our whole clearing ecosystem. So there's a lot of things that are happening there in AI. I think the business models in the future will look a lot more like a utility and subscription-based services. Um, that, that has a massive impact on banking, how you actually buy your, your, your systems, your, you know, your software, your licenses, everything from that, and then how do you actually deliver those services out to your customers? Very, very different models. So I think we'll end up paying for current accounts as well. Well, yeah, that's, that's a weird thing, actually. In the UK, we don't, we don't think about paying for a current account, but in the rest of the world, it's, it's really, very common. Mm. But, we, but we all do happily have a Netflix subscription and a Spotify subscription. I do not have Netflix. I'm going to do the fifth person I've said that to today. <laughs> do you have any subscriptions at all? Uh, no, not personally. Wow. Mm. Don't have Spotify, uh, don't have Amazon. An exception. Um, I, I respect that. Sorry, we'll take that offline. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, uh, Andrew, for a man who didn't want to look into a crystal ball, that was a fabulous answer. Thank sorry. you very much. Ellie, <laughs> <laughs> what about work. you? I mean, I, I ran out of batteries this morning from, in my crystal ball, but oh. I'll give it a shot. All right, you can look into any other, you can scry in some water if you prefer. I'm, uh, I'm not, you know. So, I'm still waiting to go into a, a board discussion with a bank or a senior executives where the, the bank is going to say, we want to build, a, to be the orchestrator of an ecosystem around us. I want to go cut partnerships with the hotels, the gas stations, the retailers around me, and I want to build an ecosystem around me. I may be the one orchestrating it or be a big part of orchestrating of, of something in it rather than just providing banking services. I've yet to go into a discussion with a bank that says, um, I'd like to take data from multiple, from other sources and integrate it with my data, like you were mentioning before, Eric, and become a data aggregator, and I'm the best position in it because I have the customers and the corporates trust, much more than they trust Google and the other companies because of all the incidents that they have. So we haven't had those discussions. I think that the banks are trying to figure out what they want to do, especially the large banks. Whilst the, the small ones are, they're moving faster, they have smaller problems, but the big banks, 
need to ask themselves the question, how will I compete in this, in this new era of technology leading and moving business, and how am I going to compete with the large big techs that with uh, a single click can go acquire two banks, they have uh, over a billion users already, and I'm out of business. I, I don't think you're going to get those conversations. I was just going to say... I, I that, don't that, think they will you, happen. What you haven't seen yet, but do you think we will see it? You don't think we will see it? No, 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 because if you think about... Fight, fight, fight. <laughs> so if you think about the investment the big banks are actually making, just maintaining the systems that they've got, right? So we even see this at ClearBank, right? We have a number of customers who come on board, they have their requirements and everything else, your operations, and you kind of essentially squash innovation which is tough, right? We're an innovative bank. You do squash it because you're being squashed by your own success. If you're a big, big incumbent bank, you're going to have problems there. You've got mortgages, you've got all sorts of things that sit on legacy platforms. How do you move them? So I don't think you see that. I mean, we're actually looking at, I and mean, I think we've gone full circle in the conversation, how do you keep innovating in the future? Um, I think it's really hard. It's really hard. I mean, one of the things I'm really passionate about at ClearBank is trying to say, let's pull out and make an innovation like R&D lab. How do we do that to look at to the future so we can act like a fintech and then leverage what we've got and almost keep building, building you know, that infrastructure service, tear it down, rebuild something, tear it down, rebuild something. I, I was going to say, that's where the, my mind's The deployment goes. cycle for that is really, really critical because if your test environment looks almost exactly like your real world environment, but it's, the, the, it is the real world, right? Well, exactly. Um, because it, it's just another instance of the same thing and it's, it's just, you just haven't done that yet, basically. That's very different to uh, incumbent bank labs who can go do something really, really interesting, but it's all the way over here and it's never going to touch a live customer and they either build, you know, infrastructure number 35 and now they've got 35 core systems instead of 34. Uh, the ability to have that sort of platform at the back end really enables them to do that customer-led innovation at the front. Yeah, and that's what we do. I mean, we run about 30, 40 different different cores, right? The, the whole stack. But it's, it's actually when I start thinking about those challenges you mentioned, I can't see an incumbent being able to do that because the amount of money that I'm investing in what I've got to keep the lights on right now, yeah. I'm a victim of my own success. So you start looking at, well, how do I almost like uh, spin up something that's uh, going to challenge myself, challenge my own customer oh, I see. Constantly we do. And, you, yeah. you know, we see something like with metal. We're going to let Ilya make his final point. And, then and I have a solution to this. You're absolutely right. If they keep investing in reducing total cost of ownership and infrastructure, they're not going to grow the way they can grow. But if they use FusionFamic.cloud, yeah. oh, the whole ecosystem. Brilliant. I didn't even get paid for that. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> that is a beautiful end to today's panel. So thank you so much for that, gentlemen. Um, and thank you to our lovely guests for joining us. I know it's the end of the day. Um, where can people find out more about you? If they've been inspired by what they've heard today, do you have a Twitter handle, an email, a LinkedIn? Please don't give us your home address. We can't put that out, GDPR. Um, Ellie? Of course, the marketing team will be happy to provide you with all the details. Where can they be found? Are they outside? <laughs> yeah, pointing the back of the room. Yeah. Somebody with their hands up. All right, if you want to know more, go find that gentleman <laughs> or that lady. That's on the podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For everybody on the podcast, website? Finastra.com. Perfect. Uh, SharpSign, collaborate to innovate. I believe SharpSign Fusion 1. Yep, I'm, we're look, I'm looking at marketing. Hashtag Fusion they say, I'm yes. they say I'm correct, so yes, we're good. Yes, we've got it. Good. All right, we've got the thumbs up from the back. It's terrible people do that on stage, and I'm looking straight into the lights. I'm like, oh, I can't see. <laughs> um, Eric, how about you? I mean, you can find out all about all the different services that we offer at azure.com slash AI, and azure.com for all of the things that Azure will offer, and uh, that's probably the best place to find more information about it. 
Brilliant. And Andrew, how about you? I'm going to be slightly different, right? So you can go to clear.bank, that's it, for the URL. Or for personally, if you just want to abuse me, which seems to be what happens <laughs> on Twitter these days, right? So I'm just Andrew Clearbank on Twitter. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much to our audience for joining us. I hope you've had an excellent day and you've enjoyed the show. Thank you to our audience at home for listening. Um, as always, you can find the show on Twitter at Fintech Insiders or on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Um, if you like what you've heard, do not forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have any suggestions or feedback, please, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Goodbye. Bye.